0: Maccast, Sunday, March 5th, 2023. Hey, MacGeeks! it's time for your Maccast, the show for Mac Geeks. Bye, Mac Geeks. I'm Adam, and this is a show where we discuss all things Macintosh. How you doing? Welcome back to the show. Hope you are having a great day. Things are going okay here, although I learned a valuable lesson about living in the Midwest in winter, and that is, do not leave your heater off in your office or your studio, as it were. Uh, yeah, during the during the weekend when you're when you're away, you might come out to a very very cold room. Yes, it's a little chilly here. In the MacCast studios, I won't be making that mistake again. But hey, we got an episode to do. We're going to sit down and talk about all things Apple, Macintosh, hints, tips, tricks, all the goings-ons in the Apple and Mac community. It should be fun. A uh, little bit lighter on the news this time of year. Yeah, not a ton of stuff going on. We've got kind of a A lot of little odds and ends this week, I think, in terms of the news. There's some things going on with iPad Pro. We've got little bits of international news. We've got kind of what I'm calling the odds and ends of iPhone news, what's coming up for this year's iPhone, a little bit about next year's iPhone. We have a little bit of Mac uh, information to share with you and that sort of stuff, and then it's been light from the community this week. Uh, not a lot of you writing in with questions or comments or, or or much. So really, for feedback, we're going to try and answer a question about uh, displays, and that'll probably round out this episode of the MacCast. So it might be a little bit shorter than normal, but still, we should have a good time. And before we jump into everything. I do want to take a quick moment and thank a show sponsor. And our sponsor is Collide. And they have some big news. If you're an Okta user, they can get your entire fleet to 100% compliance. How? If a device isn't compliant, the user can't log into your cloud apps until they've fixed the problem. It's that simple. Clyde patches one of the major holes in zero-trust architecture, and that's device compliance. Without Collide, IT struggles to solve basic problems like keeping everyone's OS and browser up to date. Unsecured devices are logging into your company's apps because there's nothing to stop them. Clyde is the only device trust solution that enforces compliance as part of authentication And it's built to work seamlessly with Okta. The moment Collide's agents detect a problem, it alerts the user and gives them instructions to fix it. If they don't fix the problem within a set time, they're blocked. Collide's method means fewer support tickets, less frustration, and most importantly, 100% fleet compliance. Visit collide.com slash MacCast to learn more or book a demo, That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash MacCast, and a big thank you to Collide for their support of the show. Looks like iPad Pro pricing might be going up a little bit this year, at least if you believe the Korean website, The Alac. Why? They say that Apple is talking with both Samsung and LG Display about new panels for 11.1-inch and 13-inch iPad Pros. OLED panels this time around. Apple moving to OLED, according to them, this year. But Apple has, as you might imagine, some pretty stringent requirements about how those OLEDs rather should perform, or how those OLEDs should perform, versus LCDs. And a lot of the stuff they're asking for is apparently not something that's been common in panels of this size. According to the report, Apple wants panels with two emission layers instead of one like they currently have in iphone displays this means that the panels will have a two-stack tandem structure and the reason for that is apparently it allows the panels to have up to double the brightness but more importantly four times the lifespan apple recognizes that folks replace their ipads far less frequently than they would their iphones so they're looking for panels that are going to have longer life which completely makes sense to me they also want versions of the tech of the panels rather that have tech like low temperature polycrystalline oxide LtPO film thin, thin film transition transistors and hybrid OLED structure so that they can have thinner panels that are more energy efficient, better battery life, all those good things we've come to love in our Apple devices. So while all that is great, that translates to higher component costs for Apple and and according to the report, it looks like they'd be more than doubling the cost of the displays that they're currently using. And it's believed at least some of that cost would be passed on to consumers. So if you're budgeting for a new iPad Pro this year, you might want to sock away a little bit of extra cash just in case those prices do go up. There's obviously no guarantee. We have to wait till Apple actually makes an announcement. But it is looking like we could have a little price increase on iPad Pro models this year. Some good news for those of you who are fans of the iPhone SE. It looks like it might not quite be dead yet. Uh, That's despite what analyst Ming-Chi Kuo said a few months ago, although it's going to get a little bit of a design change and probably not in the way that most people who like the iPhone SE are going to be completely happy with. Ming-Chi Kuo says that uh, now Apple is planning an update for the iPhone SE, although they're going to go big. Uh, He thinks that Apple is working on a 6.1-inch version of the iPhone SE. Says it's going to be very similar to the current standard iPhone 14 with an OLED display, but interestingly, an Apple designed 5G modem. We know that Apple has been working on their own modems for iPhones. Uh sounds like this might be the model that they experiment with their own designs in. He did not give any time frame, but it likely wouldn't be happening until sometime next year. So in 2024, the modem thing is really interesting because, as you know, we've been hearing reports that Apple has been struggling with that modem. I think we talked about the fact that they might not be out until 2025, so 2024 would be a little bit sooner. And... More indications that that might be happening are coming from Qualcomm's CEO, who said recently that Apple has not approached them to discuss modem orders for 2024. And he does think Apple might be moving to their own modems that year. So Apple could be closer than some of the other reports have previously indicated. And it's sounding like maybe they'll start with the iPhone SE. I think if they do that, I would put the time frame of launch of an updated iPhone SE to be earlier in the year in 2024, probably in sometime in the first quarter. Pure speculation on my part, but just kind of lining up the tarot cards, as it were. That's what I think is going to be happening. So, some little bit of news on uh, iPads and iPhones there for you. Now, we also have a few bits, as I mentioned, of international news in iOS 16.4 beta, the new beta that came out for HomePod, it seems like Apple has enabled Hebrew language for Siri. So that means they could potentially be having a pending release of the HomePod in Israel. So Apple continuing to expand HomePod into more and more countries, Israel might be one of the next locations. Apple also announced an expansion of its Silicon silicon Design Center in Munich, Germany. The company said that they're going to be making another $1 billion euro investment to design and construct a new state-of-the-art research facility that their R&D teams could use to further their chip design efforts. So Apple wanting to press further and further with their chip designs you know the modems we were just talking about is a good example of that and they're willing to lay down some cash it sounds like to continue to expand so i think they have a multi-building multi-facility over there in munich and they are making plans to completely expand that and then Apple continues to roll out its revamped maps application. It's now available in Finland, Norway, and Sweden. Uh, the new maps provide a lot more detail, improved navigation. Custom-designed 3D models for popular landmarks, also immersive turn-by-turn walking directions that include augmented reality and a bunch more. The revamp apps are, or the revamped maps, excuse me, are very, very nice. Uh, so it's good to see them continuing to roll that out in more locations. They're also bringing look around to those countries. I am a huge fan of look around. I just wish it was rolled out in more areas. It's mostly in larger cities. So if you happen to be in a larger city in Finland, Norway, or Sweden, you might be able to actually check that out now and uh, get, get a look at your town through Apple's look around. Um, so check that out. And uh, that's some of the latest international news from this week. As I mentioned at the top of the show, we also kind of have a bevy of iPhone odds and ends this week. Uh, it's in various little tidbits. So we'll kind of run through those. Uh, We are pretty sure that the iPhone 15s at this point are going to be ditching the lightning cable for USB-C. Now we're getting more reports that USB-C accessories might still need to be certified with Apple through their Made for iPhone program. A lot of people have mixed opinions about made-for-iPhone. Apple builds in chips to their certified cables that have to be tested and certified by Apple. The idea there is they're going to be more reliable. Uh, They're going to provide more consistency in terms of support for things like fast charging and faster data transfers. And so what we're hearing in these reports is that we're going to continue to see those device-not-supported messages for uncertified cables, and they may not work as well. They might have uh, reduced transfer rates or lower rates in terms of charging, so you're still going to have to rely on MFI cables. Yes, they tend to be a little bit more expensive, and again, a lot of people feel like Apple shouldn't be doing that, especially in the move to more traditional or standardized USB cables, but uh, it doesn't surprise me, frankly, that uh, they're going to want to keep that MFI program around. They get some money for that, you know, so like every little bit helps. And, you know, if it brings better reliability, more consistency to our devices, I think ultimately for a lot of consumers, that is a uh, a good trade-off. But love to know your opinion on that. If you do have an opinion, shoot me an email or send me an audio comment, maccast at gmail dot com. One of Apple's display suppliers, BOE, is reportedly making 6.1-inch panels for the new iPhone 15 models and seems to be, according to reports, struggling to meet some of Apple's specs. Specifically, it sounds like they're having trouble with the tolerances for light leakage around the pill and hole cutouts for the cameras and why this is important. You may remember uh, we talked about on the last episode of the MacCast that Dynamic Island should be coming to all of the iPhone models this year. And so having light leak in that area would be a problem for the Dynamic Island display uh, because Apple expands that out with, you know, deep rich blacks and you're going to want that to totally match up. So BOE apparently struggling with that. That means they might get fewer display orders this year. I think the report even mentioned they could lose the first round of display orders while they try to work out those issues, and then they'd be providing basically replacement displays uh, for repairs and that sort of thing. We have predictions this week from industry experts via DigiTimes, they're saying that the iPhone 15 Pro could trigger significant upgrade numbers from existing iPhone owners. They believe that the new updated A17 processor using the new TSMC 3 nanometer technology is something that consumers are going to get really excited about. Uh, You know, you think about better performance and a new chip. Those chips are going to be limited to just the Pro models. We've talked about a lot of what Apple's doing in terms of uh, trying to push consumers more and more to- toward those higher-end pro models. And having the A17 processor might be one of those things that happens this year. Uh, they're thinking that's going to ultimately drive sales. And uh, the good news is the new process should bring 35% better power efficiency to the new chip. So that could translate into, again, longer battery life. I think that's more the key point that consumers might go after. Uh, Performance, it'll be interesting to see how much that improves. Generally, we see about anything between 10 and 20% year over year. And I would expect that with this new processor. Although, you know, often makes me wonder, how fast do our iPhones need to be? I haven't noticed in many, many years that mine is particularly running slow. So uh, yeah, again, I think power efficiency, better battery life, that's all something that uh, a lot of people would like to have in their iPhones. You know, that enables things like the always on display technology, and maybe being able to do more with that and widgets and notifications and all that sort of thing. And then another thing we've been hearing a lot about this year is Apple moving to solid state buttons, uh, using Taptic engines and and getting rid of some of the physical buttons that's going to help with uh, water and dust ratings. And it sounds like they are moving to that this year. The new report that came out this week was a rumor that the volume buttons might move from being two single buttons like they are now in the current design to a rocker style design a single button single style button also in the same uh, in the same rumor they said that the mute switch might not be a switch anymore it might again be a single press button so Apple trying to kind of seal up any Egress areas or things that uh, might let in additional liquids or dust in the iPhone. And again, that's going to be an improvement for water resistance in the iPhone. And then finally, last little bit of uh, iPhone news we have this week. Display analyst Ross Young thinks that Apple will transition at some point to under-display Face ID technology. With the release, he thinks of the iPhone 16 Pro. That's expected to happen in 2024. We've been talking about that for a little bit. Uh, and then he does also believe that Apple will follow that with under an underscreen front-facing camera on the iPhone 18 Pro models that's expected to happen in 2026. So Apple kind of getting into the under-display technology uh, with the iPhone 16 and then advancing that uh, to the front-facing camera. He says camera, uh, you know, we have three cameras now, so I'd imagine it would be all of them with the iPhone 18 Pro uh, later. Oh, and I guess we do have one more little bit of iPhone news. Uh, Weibo post says that Apple is planning to release a new color for the iPhone 14 and iPhone 14 plus for this spring. They're saying it's going to be a yellow color. Uh, that would be quite nice, especially considering the rumor we talked about last week about the iPhone 14 uh, or 15 rather and 15 plus potentially coming out in a cyan and a magenta color. They'd have a full lineup of CMY. Uh, no k i guess so maybe they'll do a black one too but at least cmy uh for the lineup if they do a yellow iphone 14 this spring that remains to be seen we have to see it might happen this week uh, according to the report they thought the announcement might be made or really a, just a rollout on apple's website we have seen them kind of change up colors in the past it's not super common but yeah hey look for uh watch your news feed this week it may happen And then finally, in the news for this week, we do have some Mac news, starting off with Apple's Silicon Mac Pro, Apple's Vice President of Worldwide Marketing reiterated in an India Today interview that Apple remains committed to transitioning the entire Mac line to Apple Silicon. That sort of confirms that there's still a Silicon Mac Pro coming something we've been talking about we are expecting that this year maybe we'll have an announcement at worldwide developer conference of course he didn't make any specific announcement or mention of any kind of timeline and those of you who have been paying attention have probably noticed that apple is lagging just a little bit behind on their original commitment to have the mac transition in about two years you may remember they made that announcement in 2020 so here we are sitting at 2023, still no Mac Pro. Hopefully it does come out this year. Apple has been reportedly struggling with that a little bit, um, but I expect we will see it. And then Mark German over on the 24-inch iMac front says that Apple has reached an advanced stage of development, and that model could be imminent. He says it will have an M3 chip, internal design changes changes, and a new manufacturing process for the stand he thinks it could be arriving in the second half of 2023 at the earliest and he also expects specs and updated 13-inch macbook air and larger 15-inch macbook air we've been hearing a lot of rumors about that model potentially coming again maybe at worldwide developer conference he says It may hit between late spring and summer. And he's a little bit unsure about which chip Apple would feature in these machines. He's kind of hedging towards the M3 uh, or maybe an updated M2. The current 13 inch model uses an M2 5 nanometer process chip. We do know they have kind of the second generation 5 nanometer process. So. It'll be interesting to see what chip Apple puts in that machine. I'm banking that it's going to be the M2, and they're not going to wait for an M3. I think M3 is maybe spring, early next year, when we'll see those models again. Just speculation on my part, based on everything we've kind of been seeing in the news, sort of reading the Apple tea leaves. But with that, that is going to do it for the news for this week. Before we move on, I do want to take a quick moment and thank another show sponsor, and that is Factor. This new year, you've got goals, and Factor is here to help you achieve each and every one of them. Fuel up fast with ready-to-eat nutritious meals delivered straight to your door, leaving you time and energy to tackle everything on your to-do list. Achieve and maintain your 2023 goals with Factor get America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit and start saving time eating well and living your best year yet. If you're too busy to cook with Factor, you can skip the trip to the grocery store, skip the chopping, prepping, and cleaning up too. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are ready to eat in just two minutes, so all you have to do is heat and enjoy. No matter your lifestyle, Factor has delicious flavor-packed meals to help you live it to the fullest with keto calorie-smart, vegan and veggie, and protein-plus options on the menu each week. Prepared by chefs and approved by dietitians, each meal has all the ingredients you need to feel satisfied all day long. With 34 chef-prepared, dietitian-approved weekly options, there's always something new to try. Plus, you can round out your meal and replenish your snack supply with an assortment of 36 plus sweets, smoothies, juices, and more satisfying add-ons. Want to cut back on takeout? Get Factor instead. Not only is Factor cheaper than takeout, but the meals are ready faster than restaurant delivery in just two minutes. If you're eating vegan or veggie, it's a snap with Factor. Because each meal is prepared by chefs and approved by dietitians. you know that your Factor meal has all the ingredients you want and nothing you don't. And if you're looking to mix it up, you can add a protein to select vegan and veggie meals each week. Get Factor and enjoy clean eating without the hassle. Simply choose your meals and enjoy fresh, flavor-packed meals delivered to your door, ready in just two minutes, no prep, no mess. Head to factormeals.com slash maccast50 and use the code maccast50 to get 50% off your first box. That's code MACCAST50 at factormeals.com slash MACCAST50 to get 50% off your first box. And a big thank you to Factor for their support of the show. So as I mentioned at the top of the show, not a lot of uh, community feedback this week, but I did get one question from listener David who said he's finally upgrading an aging 2010 iMac and getting a brand new M2 Mac Mini? First of all, congratulations, David. That is a nice upgrade, nice machine, and probably well deserved after what, 12, thir- almost 13 years with an iMac. I'm constantly amazed at how long lasting uh, Macs are. Uh, they continue to just perform and perform for a long, long time. I've often had machines five, six, seven, years even longer i don't know if i've ever had one completely well i take that back i do have a uh, an original core duo mac mini that i'm still using on my network uh, to be a storage device so i guess yeah they stick around for a really really long time but yep well-deserved upgrade uh, and david said in his email hey i you know i don't have any kind of big requirements for a fancy 4k display i'd rather save a little bit of money and get something a little bit less expensive options like qhd or wqhd displays so that 2560 by 1440 resolution a common resolution in displays in 24 inches or 27 inches versus like a 4k display which is 3840 by 2160 and said hey i had one kind of all set up and ordered and then i started reading and doing some research and a number of people were mentioning that getting a 2560 by 1440 display for a Mac." is not a good idea. And specifically, he pointed me to a MacMost video. If you've never followed MacMost or checked out Gary's videos, you should check them out. But I'll have a link to this one in the show notes at MacMost.com. But Gary talks about why getting a 1440 display might not be the best choice for many Mac owners. And I was kind of looking because I use two 24 inch displays with my Mac, uh, an HP display and a Samsung display. One was provided by my office, but I think my HP display wasn't very expensive. Um, got it for a pretty good deal. I think it was around 150 bucks at the time when I, when I bought it. Um, And my displays are 1680 by 1050 and a full HD display. The HP one is 1920 by 1080. So full HD at native resolution. And those work pretty well for me. So I don't know if those are even options anymore, but I wanted to get into the why uh, Gary and several other, other folks feel like a 1440 display is maybe not the best choice for Mac owners. Uh so the gist of it is that at that resolution you basically have two different options for running the display. You have the native resolution where each pixel is just activated as a single pixel and with that you're going to get the best screen real estate in terms of being able to fit the most items and windows and things and most interface elements on your screen. But for a lot of folks at that resolution uh things like your menus or icons or just the physical text on the screen can appear very, very small. And I think a lot of us have experienced this with different display resolutions, right? You, you get a, a display, you put it at native resolution, and everything looks extremely tiny on your screen. and It can be hard to use, but that's how you get the most screen real estate. Now, Mac and mac os generally want to set up and use screens as what's called high dpi uh marketing term retina right and what happens here is apple will take a physical pixel one physical pixel and convert that into a single virtual pixel and generally they want to do it at a four to one ratio so you take four pixels uh specific pixels and you make that a single pixel in terms of the actual resolution of the display so with a 2560 by 1440 display in high dpi mode your resolution effectively becomes 1280 by 720 and this ends up being good for readability But as you can see by that resolution, you're sacrificing a lot of screen real estate, right? Everything's getting a lot larger, it's easier to read, and you know that can ultimately be good for your eyesight, but might not be good if you're trying to fit a bunch of user interface elements in there. So if you're using something like iMovie or Final Cut or Photoshop, you're going to find your screen kind of getting pretty cramped uh, fairly quickly. And so the argument for at least a 4K display goes that that is better because at high DPI, it splits the difference and you get the best of both worlds. You get a 1920 by 1080 resolution and the same screen real estate. So I would argue another way to go is you could go like I have it and get a native 1920 by 1080 resolution display and run it at native resolution. Again, not going to get the kind of screen real estate you might get with, say, a 5K display, but you could save some money uh, and uh, have that sort of thing going on. And so I think a lot of this really comes down to personal preferences in a lot of instances, your budget, how much you want to spend, and I definitely understand the argument that's being made here. Again, I haven't shopped displays a lot recently, so I don't know all the options that are out there, but it does bring up this great conversation that I thought we could have in the community about what kinds of displays people are using, what the trade-offs are, maybe versus budget, and uh, you know what goes into the buying decisions when you're buying a, a display, especially for a setup like a Mac Mini. Right? Where most folks buying Mac minis are trying to save a little bit of cash. Maybe you're reusing a display you already have. And, uh, you know, how do you go about that? Uh, another thing that I think was interesting that Gary brought up in his video, and I tend to agree with this as well, is a lot of Macs either have support for it or you can get adapters for it to do HDMI displays. And that's nice because it's nice and convenient. We're familiar with that connector with our televisions and stuff like that. But I personally have not had a lot of great experience in hooking up by displays via HDMI. I prefer to use mini DisplayPort or Thunderbolt or whatever the native connection would be um, because your USB-C or your Thunderbolt connectors support DisplayPort natively over that connector. And when you connect a display via uh, DisplayPort or DVI or some other technology other than HDMI HDMI rather, you tend to get more options in terms of the screen settings and resolutions and refresh rates and and that sort of thing. So I've always had better experience. I've always felt like displays running on HDMI tend to be a little bit... Uh, fuzzier not as sharp for me for some reason again all of this tending to be personal preference i know a lot of people that hook up displays via hdmi and are perfectly happy with uh that setup but just another consideration when you're looking at displays and how you might connect them and the availability of connection ports on your on your mac or if you're looking at say uh putting in a dock something like that all of these things go into the consideration of what you might spend what you might uh what you might buy Now, 4K displays have come down in price, I think, but I think they still run in about that $300 range, and we're talking U.S. prices here, Um, and I think you can get a a 24 or 27-inch non-4K display for about half that. So again, you may be willing to make some trade-offs to save the cash, Um, and then of course you do often have options within the settings in Mac OS. You can go into the display settings and play around with the options. I did notice uh, I had not pulled up before this email came in, not pulled up the display settings in macOS Ventura yet. Apple has definitely changed uh, how the settings work there. A common issue, uh, I think, prior to macOS Ventura is when you would select your display resolutions. For a lot of displays, it would only give you a few options, and then you had kind of this... uh, hierarchy of you could have larger text or more space. Um, and Apple would kind of divide up the virtual pixels or do some things in software to kind of give you more options, but you never were able to pick specific resolutions or specific refresh rates. You couldn't get really granular in terms of the settings. And to solve that, there are a lot of great third-party apps out there, uh, things like Switch Res X or Better Display, and those would give you more display options. I was looking at macOS Ventura and I'm noticing with my displays it gives me a set of of kind of default resolutions and then there's also now a show all resolutions option that opens up and gives me a bunch more uh display resolutions that I can run my displays at there's also settings for refresh rate although those may or may not be available depending upon uh, what kind of display you have Uh, but you might play around with uh, different resolutions different settings if you have a display where you're trying to get more screen real estate i have found that when you go to the non-native resolutions or resolutions that are not Equally divisible, i.e., like a four to one ratio or a two to one ratio of your pixels, you can tend to get kind of soft, blurry images because what's happening is the virtual pixels are having to be subdivided in a very unequal way, and you kind of get this bleeding of pixels into other pixels. So text can get a little bit soft and and that sort of thing. Some people are fine with that. Personally, me, I I don't like that, so I tend to avoid those resolutions. Uh, but that's definitely just me. And then of course we're talking a lot about resolution here. There's a lot of options and things to think about when you're buying a display, depending upon your needs. If you're doing more video watching or video stuff, or you're a really big gamer, refresh rate might be something very, very important to you. If you're more of an artist, you know, the color profiles and color accuracy of your display might be a big thing. And, uh, you know, for everybody a lot of us who care about the environment, energy efficiency, you know, how much power and energy your display is using might be a big thing too. And that kind of factors into recent conversations we've had around, you know, battery backups and and UPSs and that sort of thing. So the more energy efficient your monitor is, you might be able to connect that to your UPS. And if you have a power outage, you know, drive your computing experience a, a little bit longer. So, All these things go into uh, making a display purchase. I'd be very curious to to know what uh, people are out there buying these days, what kinds of things you're looking at. So if you have an opinion on this, you have some thoughts, let me know. Shoot me some feedback, maccast at gmail.com. I know myself personally, I am very, very interested in getting um, some 4K displays myself. I've been looking at the BenQ models. Uh, For me, an important uh, factor is having a daisy-chainable Uh, Thunderbolt 3 connection. So I want to be able to connect via Thunderbolt, and I don't want to have to run two cables to my Mac. I want to go from one screen to the other screen, and oddly... There's not a lot of uh, display options out there that can do that. I do think that maybe Samsung just came out with a new 4 or 5K display this year. I think that does support that. But previously, this BenQ model that I've been looking at, this 32-inch model, had been the only option. And I think we talked about that on a previous episode of MacCast. So, again, let's have a little conversation about displays, shoot me some feedback. But with that, that is going to do it for today. The show for this week. Before I leave you, I do want to thank a couple of our show supporters. Uh, bandwidth for the Maccast is provided by Cashfly. You can find them at f-l-y.com And all advertising on the Maccast is handled by Backbeat Media. They are at backbeatmedia.com. As always, I love hearing from you. If you have a comment, a question, something you'd like to hear covered on a future episode of the MacCast, please send your emails and audio comments to maccast at gmail.com. You're also welcome to call in on the listener hotline and leave a voicemail. That phone number is 281 622 42 69281MAC. I am 9. And if you need show notes, links to anything that I talked about on this or any other episode of the Maccast, you'll find those on the website. That's at maccast.com. And you can follow me on social media. Uh, I'm on Twitter, twitter.com slash maccast. You can check out the Maccast Facebook page over at facebook.com slash the maccast or find me on Instagram, just maccast on Instagram. That is going to do it for now. Until next time, I will talk to you all again real soon.